The population of London grew at a rapid rate in the 19th century, and the city soon ran out of places to bury its dead. The answer was the creation of huge suburban cemeteries around the edge of the capital. Their grand monuments and more modest headstones connect us directly to the past, giving us compelling clues to fascinating lives. One local historian, Mike Gilfoyle, has made it his mission to uncover some of the extraordinary tales that lie behind the epitaphs at the Brockley and Ladywell Cemetery in South East London. More than 150,000 people are thought to have been buried in this leafy, peaceful resting place. Some famous in their day, some infamous, many deserving recognition once again. These are the stories behind the London epitaphs. A name and a date on a headstone provide very few clues to the life and death of a person. Often a hunch based on burial records or a chance remark would lead me to uncover a fascinating story. Sometimes it's just a case of spotting something unusual on a headstone. The following three stories were unexpected finds. They are linked by one tragic factor. Their subjects were all victims of major disasters. They remind us that behind the catastrophic moments in history, there are individual tragedies that leave their mark for generations. It was by pure chance that I spotted the names of Chastina and Montague Grant at the foot of a family grave overgrown with branches close to the Catholic section of the cemetery. They were two of 1,198 individuals to lose their lives in one of the 20th century's most horrific maritime disasters, the sinking of the luxury Cunard passenger ship, the RMS Lusitania. The couple, who were in their 40s, were British citizens living in Chicago. They had booked a berth on the Lusitania to visit Mrs Grant's three sisters, then living in Liverpool, whom they had not seen for many years. Launched in 1906, Lusitania was the world's largest and fastest passenger ship. On this particular voyage, it was sailing under Captain William Turner, and the journey was taking place despite advance warnings of a potentially deadly threat from German U-boats. On the 7th of May 1915, the ship was not far from home in the Irish Sea. Chastina and Montague were on the sun deck when they saw an acquaintance, James Brooks, on the boat deck below and called out to him. Brooks climbed the companionway to join the Grants. They made plans to play shuffleboard and were waiting for a fourth person to join them when Brooks noticed a white streak approaching diagonally from the starboy side. He said simply, That's a torpedo. The next moment, a shock ran through the Lusitania. Brooks later described what happened next. Instantly up through the decks went coal, debris of all kind in a cloud, up in the air and mushroomed up 150 feet above the Marconi wires. A volume of water shot violently up into the air and knocked the Grants and Brooks flat on the ground. Chastina was heard to call for her husband saying, Oh Monty! Brooks got up and ran between the second and third funnels to find Montague and Chastina lying on the deck on the starboard side. Then came a slight second shock that enveloped him in steam and he felt that he was going to suffocate. When the steam cleared, the Grants were gone. It took just 18 minutes for the vessel to sink and both Chastina and Montague Grant were lost. Chastina's body was recovered first, identified as age 36, first-class passenger. It was interred in a common grave in Queenstown Old Cemetery in Ireland. Montague's body was found a little later. 
a funeral was held for him at St Paul's Deptford and he was interred in Brockley Cemetery. International outrage followed the sinking of the Lusitania. Nearly 130 Americans lost their lives in the tragedy and the repercussions led to the US eventually entering the war in 1917. A hastily convenient inquest in King Sale recorded a verdict of willful and wholesale murder for what was considered an appalling crime contrary to the international law and the conventions of civilised nations. But historians have since questioned the wisdom of the voyage happening in the first place. Only days before the Lusitania set sail, a message appeared in an American newspaper on the same page as an advert by Cunard for the trip to Europe via Liverpool. It was from the German embassy and contained a warning that vessels flying the flag of Great Britain are liable to destruction. Travellers using the route did so at their own risk, it claimed. Why did these people, including the Grants, ignore the warning? Some survivors said afterwards that no one had taken it seriously, believing that a ship of such size and importance would never be a target for U-boats. After all, who would sink a passenger ship? Over time, the captain, the British government and even the passengers themselves have been partially blamed for the tragedy. It remains one of the most shocking acts of aggression against civilians in the First World War. Just four years before the sinking of the Lusitania, another maritime disaster shocked the world, this time off the east coast of Australia. It became known as the Townsville Titanic. The loss of the SS Yongala is Australia's most famous shipwreck, and the connection to southeast London comes in the form of Robert Cook, a crew member who lost his life along with 122 passengers and crew. His grave is situated near the old boundary wall in the centre of the cemetery. It was only revealed when undergrowth was cleared in the area. His name is inscribed on the family headstone, Robert Walton Cook, 1890-1911, lost at sea aboard the SS Yongala. Yongala, which is the Aboriginal word for broad water, was on its 99th voyage in March 1911 and was under the command of Captain Knight, who was described as being a careful and experienced master and who, by chance, came from Bromley. The steamship was by all accounts a splendid sight and was due to be supplied with a Marconi radio on its next planned voyage. On the night of the 23rd of March, the ship ran into a tropical cyclone on the Great Barrier Reef off Queensland and struggled against monstrous waves. It was last sighted from the Dent Island Lighthouse. The Ungala was posted as missing when it failed to arrive at Townsville, 55 miles from its destination. The only body ever found from the disaster was a racehorse called Moonshine, which was being shipped north to compete in the Townsville Cup. All 122 human passengers were lost without trace until divers discovered the wreck in 1958. At the time of the centenary of the sinking, I was able to contact the Townsville Museum and send the curator a photograph of the family grave in Ladywell Cemetery. Before this, the only name on the ship's manifest was that of R. W. Cook. It was particularly gratifying to be able to note that the full name of Robert Walton Cook has now been added to the names of all those who perished without trace on that stormy night off the Queensland coast. The family was later to suffer the loss of another son, Private John Wallace Cook, aged 33, who died from his wounds on the Western Front in 1917 while serving with the 4th Seaforth Highlanders. He is buried in Rouen in France.
It was while chatting to some visitors to the cemetery that I was alerted to the grave of our last subject, Marie Grace Rumsby, who lies in Ladywell Cemetery. She was 39 years old when she died, one of 90 people who lost their lives in the Lewisham train crash of 1957. We know little about Marie, only that she was on that train packed with Christmas shoppers coming back from town on the evening of the 4th of December. There was dense fog everywhere and the trains were running late. The 5.18pm Charing Cross to Hayes train carrying nearly 1,500 passengers stopped at a danger signal at Parks Bridge Junction outside Lewisham, right under a railway bridge. Due to the fog, the trains were running out of order. At about 6.20pm, the waiting train was struck from behind by a steam train from Cannon Street, containing about 700 passengers and travelling at around 30 miles an hour. What followed was instant devastation. The collision threw the tender and leading coach off the track, dislodging a pier of the bridge and causing it to fall and crush two coaches. Two minutes later, a train was due to pass over the bridge but pulled up short, its front tilting towards the scene of the accident. 90 people died that day, a further 173 were injured. This is how the Pathy Newsreel described the scene. There is scarcely a home within reach of the crash which has any blankets or sheets left. They gave all they had to the rescue workers and every house and flat was sheltering injured. This is a working-class area where there is little to spare, but no one held back on this terrible night. Our cameramen, who have filmed battlefronts and disasters for many years, say this is one of the most gruesome tragedies they have ever seen. Tragedy underlined by the fact that many of the 3,000 travellers who packed the three trains were Christmas shoppers, men, women and children. And the rescue workers had to pick their way through strewn parcels pathetic in their gay wrappings. How could it happen? The inquiry will have to find out, and the public will not only expect an answer, they will want to know how it can be prevented from happening again. Repetition of such a tragedy Britain cannot afford. At the inquest, the jury found that the deaths were due to gross negligence, but unusually the coroner rejected their verdict and opted instead for one of accidental death. The driver of the Cannon Street train was tried for manslaughter twice, but was acquitted at the second trial. A year later, the Ministry of Transport published its report on the collision, saying that the driver had not slowed caution signals and had applied the brakes only after the fireman had called to him. The report concluded that an automatic train control of the warning type would have prevented the collision. Mayor Marie is buried with other family members in the Ladywell section of the cemetery, her name giving no clue as to the sad and shocking circumstances of her death. However, all the victims are commemorated with a plaque which can now be seen on the wall of the ticket hall of Lewisham Station. It is a public reminder of the human costs of one of the worst rail disasters in recent British history. London Epitaphs was brought to you by Tempest Productions.